When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I started out looking at every Prime Minister in Canadian history, and we're right in the middle of every opposition leader who never became Prime Minister, but we took a break from that, because an election was called. So right now I'm doing 36 election episodes in a row, to coincide with our 36-day election period. If you want to support the podcast, you can, for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Wednesday and Saturday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. I do all of these full-time. The writing, the research, everything. I do it every day, all day. And it's a lot of work. So, any dollars you give help keep it all going. And I'll make sure to thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. After the chaos of the 1925 and 1926 elections, coupled with the King-Bing affair, it probably seemed like things were getting better for William Lyon Mackenzie King. But what he did not count on was the monumental event of the Great Depression. By the time the 1930 election rolled around, the first signs of the Depression had appeared, and it would result in Canada wanting to go a different direction than it had for the majority of the 1920s. The Great Depression is often seen as something that hurt only farmers, but it spread across the country to several sectors. The Maritimes were dealing with a severe economic decline, while the overproduction of pulp and paper caused huge layoffs in northern Ontario. The price of wheat began to fall in 1928, but some factories in southern Ontario still operated providing jobs. In Quebec, New Zealand butter exports were causing the price for dairy products to fall as well. As you can see, several sectors across the entire country were dealing with the pending Great Depression. King did not seem to take notice of the pending disaster though. His diary doesn't even include a reference to the stock market crash in 1929. Arthur Meehan was long gone as leader of the Conservatives as well replaced by the millionaire Richard Bennett, known more commonly as R.B. Bennett. Bennett would campaign heavily on his business knowledge and putting in aggressive measures to combat the Great Depression. He would state in June 9, 1930 during the campaign, quote, I propose that any government of which I am the head will at the first session of Parliament initiate whatever action is necessary to that end or perish in the attempt, end quote. At the time, unemployment was rising in Canada, and the Liberals had laid claim to the economic prosperity Canada enjoyed throughout the 1920s. That claim then attached them to the bad times as well, 
and Canadians began to blame the Liberals for the issues that were created by the Great Depression. Another issue for the Liberals at this time was the King responded slowly to the growing crisis. The Dominion Bureau of Statistics did not begin to even register a drop in employment until 1930, giving a delayed response in view to the entire situation for King. When provinces began to ask for aid to help their citizens, King simply stated that it was a conservative conspiracy, and he would make one of the rare big political blunders of his career. Called the five-cent speech, he stated on April 3, 1930, that the Canadian government should not give unemployment benefits to provincial governments that had conservative leaders. He would state in the House of Commons, quote, with respect to giving money out of the federal treasury to any Tory government in this country for these unemployment purposes, with those governments situated as they are today with policies diametrically opposed to those of this government, I would not give them a five-cent piece. End quote. In his diary for April 2, 1930, he would write, quote, I shall try tomorrow to make an effective speech on unemployment and without notes. I pray to God to help in doing so. End quote. After that blunder, he likely felt that he should have had a prepared speech with notes. The next day, he would write that his speech received a thunderous ovation from the Liberals, but he noted that he had made a mistake. He would write, quote, It was a fighting speech, and in except in two particulars was what was needed. I made a slip, I think, in saying I would not give a cent to a Tory government on earth. It was a slip in that it could be read apart from the context, and it is capable of much misrepresentation as applied to unemployment. End quote. The next day, King saw that it was now spreading around the country, and he would write, quote, The slip I made yesterday, I am persuaded it was such, was in not seeing the single remark would be taken out of its context and misrepresented, and the rest of the speech would go to the boards. I am sorry for this. Also, as Prime Minister speaking in the House of Commons, I went perhaps too far. End quote. At the time, seven of the nine provinces were led by conservatives, and since King believed that unemployment was not a serious problem, he saw the request for aid as nothing more than grandstanding. For the conservatives, this speech was a gift, and they would run with it through the election. They would portray King as someone who was incapable of running the Canadian government, despite the fact that he had for the previous ten years. The Liberals were also dealing with an age factor, Except for 1920 and part of 1926, they had been ruling for most of the 1920s. King was 56 years old for one, and many of the chief strategists had been around the party since the days of Sir Wilfrid Laurier, and they were beginning to get too old to help the party. On top of that, King seemed to have troubles at every stop along the campaign tour. The Conservatives, on the other hand, pushed the image of Bennett being a self-made man who rebuilt the party using his own funds, providing an estimated $500,000 or $7.7 million today towards the party. Of that, one-fifth went into the party offices in Quebec. The party bought out newspapers in liberal-controlled areas and shifted their slant to support the Conservatives, and this would be the first election in which radio was a major factor. While King had a somewhat slow and halting way of talking, Bennett was vibrant, which people preferred to listen to. The Conservatives also capitalized on radio, buying the best radio spots they could. Bennett also promised to blast Canada into the world markets through a new tariff policy, which would help the party gain votes in the West. Now, King did see the potential for radio, but he found talking into a microphone something he did not enjoy. He would write, quote, 
Tonight I made what I believe has been the greatest effort of my life. I spoke for nearly two hours over the radio, to an unseen audience from coast to coast. I prayed very earnestly as I faced the microphone, thinking of the people of Canada as a whole. I found everything went well once I started, save only that I was far from covering all the ground I had laid out. I had to speak rapidly, and I had to condense and leave out parts." End quote. Bennett would pledge to end unemployment in the country and provide work for everyone. The conservative message, after the Liberals pushed for lower tariffs to England and higher tariffs to the United States, was that Bennett's first concern was Canada. The Liberals countered this by putting out a pamphlet full of facts that stated, quote, During the past seven years, Canada has been wonderfully prosperous, more prosperous than ever before, more prosperous than any other country in the world. There was a large increase in the total number employed in the six years between 1922 and 1928 than in the previous 32 years. End quote. While that was true, it didn't reflect the current situation in 1930 in Canada. Overall, compared to the past elections as well, over the course of 20 years, this was a much more quiet affair. Maclean's magazine would write on August 1st, 1930, quote, The politicians, too, seem strangely unreal. Mr. Bennett and Mr. King talked rather like revivalists. They used the most solemn language, but somehow or other they lacked the iron of some past campaigns, either too polite or too little in real earnest to say those things which shock the anemic and actually please many more others and give to an election a certain fighting zest. End quote. One reason for this more subtle affair in terms of elections was that Meehan was no longer the leader of the Conservatives. King and Meehan did not like each other at all, but King and Bennett did like each other, even when trading attacks on the campaign trail. In fact, the two men would often meet in Bennett's office to talk and discuss major matters pertaining to the election. When Parliament ended prior to the election, King and Bennett even talked and shared a joke while also shaking hands on the floor of the House of Commons. Over the course of the election campaign, Bennett travelled 22,530 kilometres around the country, meeting with voters. He left Ottawa at 2.10am on June 8th in a private railway car to begin his tour, and on June 9th he gave his first speech over the radio, broadcast to the 500,000 radios in Canada at the time. Bennett would continue to campaign until July 26th, delivering as much as five speeches per day. In the July 28, 1930 election, the Liberals lost 27 seats, becoming the official opposition with 89 seats. The Conservatives, in contrast, soared ahead with a gain of 44 seats, finishing with a majority of 135. The United Farmers finished with 9, while the Progressive Party continued its decline, finishing with just 3 seats. The Conservatives defeated the Liberals in every province except Saskatchewan, where the Liberals had 12 seats to the Conservatives' 7, and Quebec. In Quebec, the Conservatives actually did surprisingly well, picking up 24 seats, up 20 from the 1926 election, while the Liberals picked up 40. In Ontario, the Conservatives dominated with 59 seats to the 22 won by the Liberals. King would write in his diary at 3.30am on July 29th, quote, The result is a great surprise. First, I was astonished Nova Scotia did not do better, greatly disappointed at PEI, and New Brunswick as bad as it could be. Ontario did not do well in some seats owing to the neglect of members and internal differences. Quebec not as good as expected, we lost many there. The West held up pretty well, but we lost several seats. End quote. For King, 
He'd been leading the party since the death of Laurier in 1919 and had gone through four elections by this point, including the 1931. He wrote in his diary prior to the election that he was exhausted and sick, and when the result became known, he would write, quote, The truth is, I feel I do not much care. The load is very heavy, and I would gladly do literary work for a while. I shall be glad to throw on to Bennett's shoulders the formation of a government and finding a solution for unemployment and other problems. My guess is he will go to pieces under the strain. End quote. Upon his election, Bennett, now the Prime Minister, would state, quote, The policy of this Conservative Party has been accepted by the people of Canada as the instrument of national development. The fact that every province of the Dominion has contributed to the result will sustain the new government and the task which lies ahead. End quote. King, unlike the 1925 election, would concede defeat with the Conservatives commanding a large majority. And he would say in his own statement, quote, I have told His Excellency that I shall be glad in any way possible to expedite the summoning of Parliament, and am prepared to tender my resignation as Prime Minister. I naturally regret its outcome. I am particularly sorry that a few of my colleagues and some of the former supporters of the government in the House of Commons have met with defeat. End quote. After the election, Liberals started dealing with allegations of corruption due to the Bureau scandal which was a plan to divert water from the St. Lawrence into the Birhano Canal to develop hydroelectric power. The Birhano Light, Heat and Power Company, seeing the potential to divert the St. Lawrence to the canal, wanted to keep the Liberals in power in order to capitalize on the potential huge profits. To do so, the company put $500,000 into the campaign fund. When the Liberals lost, the scandal came to light. And while Bennett had won the election and would remain Prime Minister for five years, the Great Depression would prove to be a much tougher problem to solve. As it turned out for King, losing to Bennett when he did may have been the best thing that could have happened to him in terms of his career. But we'll explore that in our next episode. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at the 1930 election. Tomorrow, we're going to look at the 1935 election. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Again, if you like, you can support the podcast through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. And I'd like to say thank you to all of my wonderful patrons, and if I mispronounce any names, I do apologize. Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, one anonymous person who I really appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roa, Luke Guess, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, and Iris Gray. Information from Library and Archives Canada, Vancouver Province, Wikipedia, Maclean's, The Ottawa Journal, Montreal Gazette, Biography, and Dynasties and Interludes. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.